This podcast is brought to you by StormTech. For over 30 years, StormTech has been designing award-winning drones that are used worldwide. As an Australian success story, StormTech is the inventor of the linear drone currently used in thousands of applications across the globe. Used in bathrooms, thresholds, driveways, pools and paved areas, StormTech drains are engineered to solve all drainage needs around your home. With seven award-winning great styles to choose from, StormTech's full range of drains is available in an array of stunning powder-coated colours and electroplated finishes designed to suit any trend or building style. If you want further information, go to www.stormtech.com.au. Welcome to Talking Architecture and Design, and today we have the wonderful Ian Moore, the principal of Ian Moore Architects, with us here on this lovely cloudy afternoon. Uh, Ian Moore um, runs Ian Moore Architects, as I said, a multidisciplinary practice established in 1990. The practice has won numerous national and international awards and has been exhibited in Australia and around the world, including everywhere from Singapore, Bangkok, Dublin, London, um, Barcelona, Buenos Aires. Um, The work of of Ian Moore and, and his practice has also been included in the Venice Architecture Biennale in 2008 and 2012. Initially studying civil and structural engineering, which is very interesting, um, at the Auckland Technical Institute in New Zealand, Ian then studied architecture at the University of Technology in Sydney, graduating with honours in 1988. He's also received a Master of Architecture degree from RMIT in Melbourne in 2000. So welcome to Talking Architecture and Design, Ian Moore. Thank you very much, Branko. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay. And- Today, I guess, I guess we'll concentrate on, 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 a, on a subject that most people know about, but few people talk about, I guess, the bathroom. So the bathroom is, I guess, for every home is an essential part of the home, okay? In fact, it's with the kitchen, it's probably, I've, I've been told, and you, you may want to correct me here, Ian, it's one of the most um, expensive areas to renovate um, because it's, it's a wet area. Um, but... You know, it, it's it's. I guess it's also a, a bit different to a kitchen because there's, there's, I guess, a bit of an intimacy, I suppose. You know, because we we wash ourselves, we shampoo, and I guess, um, you know, we relax. I, I assume that's one way of putting it. So bathrooms are, are pretty important. So bathroom uh, history has been is very interesting. I mean, it started off as a, a more of a communal thing, I guess, um, back in ancient times. I think that. The bathroom was more like a, um, what do you call it, a bathhouse, I guess, in Roman and Chinese and, 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 and Ottoman times. In terms of what you've done over the years, and you've been now in business for, what, you know, basically 30, 31 years. Exactly. I'm glad you, you said it. <laughs> um, how have you seen the bathroom change? Or, or, or firstly, how do you envisage what is the perfect bathroom and how have you seen it change over the years? Well, I think it's important to go right back to when I first um, left New Zealand, came briefly to Sydney and then went to Europe um, and, like most people from this part of the world, and then travelled throughout Europe to Istanbul and then back to London. And in doing that, I got to go to places like Pompeii, obviously okay. Istanbul, and I saw uh, firsthand what the Romans um, had done, and you're absolutely correct about the sort of more communal uh, bathhouses. But what impressed me most about Pompeii is you see a typical Roman house, which has the, the central courtyard or impluvium 
which was designed to capture all the roof water. And the roof water then went into a cistern, which was underneath that internal courtyard. So they were collecting their rainwater and reusing it uh, for, you know, thousands of years. And wow. those houses still, to me, are a model of how we should be doing things now, not only because of the fact that it's a courtyard house and that is how we should build houses, not individual freestanding houses, but also that idea that you collect the rainwater, which we're all getting back to now with our rainwater tanks. Um, but they did it, you know, very, very well a long, long time ago. And some of those houses had their own bathrooms. They didn't all go to the communal bathhouse. Some of the, the okay. houses I saw in Pompeii had incredible bathrooms and they also used that water from the cisterns that were collected under the courtyard. Then I went to Istanbul and, you know, I had got a very nice suntan in Greece on the way there and then went to a hammam in um, Istanbul and had my suntan completely scrubbed off by a very large man with uh, a very big scourer. And um, so that was a, certainly an interesting experience. But the beautiful thing there was all the Carrara marble that was... Um, everywhere inside uh, the Turkish bath and you basically had warm air coming up through uh, little slots that had been carved into the marble. So you had this moist, humid air and then you got scrubbed by these guys and then you got dried with these things that um, were really hardly um, what we would call a towel. And uh, it was it was a very interesting experience. So, you know, at a relatively young age, I saw all that history of the bathroom. Um, then when I was in London, I was actually working for Overarapan Partners in an engineering capacity, but I was working on the Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank headquarters designed by Norman Foster. And I worked quite closely with um, Foster's office on that. And at the time, there was another building that caught my eye, and that was a, a very early work of Nicholas Grimshaw. And that was for a student... Um, accommodation building which was an old Victorian terrace house really in I think it was in Paddington uh, and it was a very large sort of four-story house and it had no bathrooms like a lot of the Victorian houses that we have here in Sydney as well um, similar model and what he did was quite ingenious because there were no bathrooms internally rather than taking away rooms from within the house uh, he knocked down the ad hoc um, additions in the rear yard and built a circular bathroom tower uh, that went the full height of the building. And wow. what was incredible about it was it had a helical ramp that wound around the side of it so that everyone from every level in the house could get on at, in, at any floor and walk around the ramp until they found a vacant bathroom. Oh, okay. And, wow. and, you know, when you've lived in a bed sit in London like I did for a number of years, you realise what a great idea that was. <laughs> so, you know, early on I, um, I experienced those things and then as, as part of my work on the Hong Kong Shanghai Bank, I was working on the service modules, which if you know the bank, and I'm sure many architects will know very well, um, the service modules were conceived like... A shipping container and in fact they were made just like a shipping container in Japan and they were shipped to Hong Kong and then they were lifted one by one and plugged into the building but what was incredible about them was that they were bathroom modules as well as you know air conditioning and other things but the bathroom modules in particular took my 
fancy because they were completely fitted out before they left the factory in Japan. Everything was absolutely 100% finished. Wow. And they were just these very simple snap connections for the hoses with the water and the waste to be snapped on after they had been slid into position in the building. So that opened my eyes to a new way of thinking about bathrooms, which has been with me from that very day. And um, then there was, while I was studying at university, when I got back to Australia, there was another bathroom which uh, had a big influence on me, and that was designed by Future Systems for the architecture critic Dan Sujik in his apartment in London. And it was uh, like a freestanding wall, which was a half-height wall in this case, made up of a series of panels. And each of those panels defined a zone for a basin, a bath, or a toilet pan. Mm -hmm. uh, and all of the plumbing was contained within this sort of wall, approximately 200 millimetres thick. And then uh, it just basically became a sort of a beautiful object in the middle of this room where there wasn't a bathroom previously. It was just a Victorian room. And by putting this sort of freestanding bathroom in the middle of it, you weren't touching the walls or the ceilings. Um, and that, again, was a, a big influence on the way I now design bathrooms. So when you put that together with the Hong Kong Bank service modules, that's pretty much the bathroom that I've been refining for the last 31 years. I'm Branko Melodic. Thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. The A&D Network proudly presents the Sustainability Awards now in their 14th year. You can find more information at sustainablebuildingawards.com.au. You've got the whole gamut there, haven't you? You started off with the communal bathroom. You started off with Pompeii. Then you went, I'm, I'm assuming that your Istanbul experience was, was, was you, you actually was voluntary, right? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, I don't think they told us exactly what we're in for when we went in there. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> sound like fun, but anyway, hey, each to their own. Um, no judgment here. But anyway, regardless, so that again is another communal and yet yeah. almost therapeutic, if that's the right word to use, uh, yes. scenario. And then yes. you, you go to this sort of this Japanese slash Asian module, which is very much individual, um, your own space. Um, is that, do you think that, and, and it's interesting, you, you talk about the, 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 the Pompeians, I guess that's the, that's the right term to use. They um, actually were sustainable. Who, who knew, right? Um, but is, is, that, is that evolution something you think has been for the better for, 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 for our, both for sustainability and for our social, social ability over the years or, or for the worse? Well, I think when you look back at it, they were a long way ahead of where we've been in recent times. Um, and it's just these, um, you know, the climate change issue in particular that's made people wake up and start to think about it again. Uh, but I think as architects, many, many architects have been thinking about this throughout their careers. And so it's not necessarily something new to us, this idea that we should be capturing rainwater, we should be, you know, thinking about the environment and the way we do things, natural ventilation, uh, you know, using the sun to heat things, with solar hot water, all of those sorts of things that um, the technologies allowed us to do. But the Romans um, and the Egyptians and the Greeks, um, and the Ottomans, they did it long before us, and they did it very, very well. 
So I think if we can learn lessons from them, then I think we will be in a much better place. And I think that a lot of people have looked very carefully at that and they're now coming round to the understanding that we have a model um, that's been proven over many, many uh, years and we just need to go back to our own present day version of that and that's essentially what I've been trying to do and I think that um, also the Japanese um, idea of going into a bathroom and, and treating it as a, as a wet area and you know literally throwing water around uh, is, is something that again had a little bit of an influence on me not necessarily throwing the water around but because water in a building is not the sort of thing you really want to be throwing around. Um, and as architects, you're always concerned about leaks and where that water goes. And so that idea of Nick Grimshaw's of saying, there's a Victorian building, it doesn't have bathrooms in it, they're always out in a shed in the backyard. That's not quite gonna work, but let's still treat it as an element which is separate from the main building. And you can get to it by little bridges and ramps and then make it work and all the waters in one place and all the bathrooms are stacked on top of each other and it all goes in a straight line from top to bottom. And that in my architecture has been critical in the development in particular of my apartment buildings. Um, you know, I've done apartment buildings up to 40 stories in height and one of the critical things there is, for me anyway, is stacking bathrooms so that you have a, a, what I've referred to as a pod, a bathroom pod, which usually has the kitchen and the laundry attached to it or, or within it. And these are all stacked all the way up the building. They don't move around. So that the plumbing is literally a straight line through a vertical rise straight down through the building. So again, you've got no opportunity for leaks and things to suddenly spring out over living rooms and bedrooms. Uh, if they're going to leak, they're going to leak somewhere in a bathroom, which is fine. You can deal with it. And uh, it's interesting how often I've had um, quite serious struggles uh, with developers um, trying to get them to understand why the bathrooms are all in one location. Really? Um, the builders get it. The builders understand that to put a, get a plumber to make a pipe that goes in a straight line from top to bottom is very economical. It's terrific. Whereas a lot of developers, they want, you know, all these different options for people. So they're going to have a bathroom here, there, or everywhere. And so what I did was take it a different way and say the bathroom is fixed. And I designed plans that allowed you to change the locations of bedrooms and living rooms um, or combine, uh, say, a two-bedroom apartment with a one-bedroom apartment to form a three-bedroom apartment. And the bathroom of the one bedroom then becomes the ensuite for the main bedroom in a three bedroom apartment, but nothing's changed other than making a hole through a wall for a door. Okay. And, you know, that, that was a very significant change, I think, in the way that Sydney apartments have been planned. And that when I did that for Altair over the King's Cross tunnel back in 1998 was, was a model that has been, copied many times and particularly the the redesign of the bathroom that I did in those early apartment buildings has been now sort of taken on board as a universal bathroom plan uh, certainly throughout Australia and and picked up internationally as well and it was all about changing from the bathroom that I first encountered at, when I was growing up in New Zealand and then later saw when I was 
both studying architecture and working within architecture offices, which was a square planned room. And you had a shower in one corner, a basin in another corner, toilet in another corner, and the last corner was where you came in through the door. And that was so universal. Um, it was almost frightening that no one had been um, more creative than that. And, and if you had a bath, you, you sort of ran it across one wall and butted it into the shower. Um, but no one really thought about it differently, except I think you could say Harry Seidler. I mean, Harry did an enormous number of apartment buildings in Australia. And, and he took it a little bit further than most of the others. And he designed some very nice um, bathrooms. Um, they were usually on the exterior of the building too. They were naturally ventilated, naturally lit. And uh, they, were, they were very interesting. So I still think, you know, he, he sort of led the way. Um, so the change for me was looking at that idea of the more shipping container uh, proportioned rectangle for a bathroom and so that you put all of the plumbing along one wall and so that I've always well, I started it by taking that idea that um, future systems had that you had a thick wall and all the plumbing was contained in it and you could actually remove panels to get at that plumbing if you needed to if there was ever a problem so I took that idea but what they didn't have and I've always thought it was a bit odd in that bathroom uh, everything else was beautiful about it, but what was really odd was there were no mirrors and there was no storage. So I don't know what Dan Sujic did to, you know, have a shave or whatever, uh, or his partner to put on makeup, they had no mirrors. They must have been somewhere else that were outside of the photos that I saw of it. But what I did was I created mirrored cabinets that sit on top of that thick wall. It was typically 200 millimetres deep. So you've then got an entire wall of storage. So all that stuff that we now have, that perhaps the Romans and the Chinese and the Turks didn't have, we now have to store. So you've got it in that, those mirrored cabinets and then underneath the thick wall with all the plumbing in it, everything's on one wall. Therefore, the actual aisle that you walk down to move through that space creates a much narrower bathroom than what's uh, typically the case. And what I also looked at very carefully, particularly when designing apartment buildings, was that bedrooms bedrooms are typically three meters in width and the bathrooms that were typical were only about 2.4 meters square but if you stretch that out to three meters it then aligns with the bathrooms and so you can slot a bathroom in between two bedrooms and you still keep a, a linear corridor so and and you squeeze everything up so you can reduce the depth of the apartment so that we have a very shallow building which is very good for natural light natural ventilation so all of these things were going through that development of my apartment buildings back in the late 90s uh, early 20s so and that's sort of continued on to this day the big thing that moved i suppose in 1999 when i was designing my barkham avenue development in uh, rush Coast bay was that japanese concept of the wet area that we've talked about where i actually literally created a zone that had a bath at the far end, a shower in front of that, the full width of the bath. And then that was separated from the sort of semi-dry zone of the basin and, and the toilet by a linear slot train. And that linear slot train was something that I developed with Stormtech in 1995 for my Price O'Reilly house in Redfern. And I didn't actually get to use it in that house Okay. Um, what I asked them to do is they had a fantastic drainage system, which was a 25 millimeter wide slot. 
which they used on the edge of paving between paving and a lawn to pick up all the water off the paving and it would just disappear into the slot. And I thought, what a great idea. Um, and we used it on, in that house where the huge um, sliding doors came down and we actually used the slot to, as a guide track for the um, pins on the bottom of the doors. But all the water that ran down the front went into this little slot. And when the doors were open, the concrete slab literally went from inside to out with only this 25 millimeter slot separating inside from outside. So it made it one almost seamless space. So I said to them, I want to do the same in the bathroom. I want to basically put a 25 millimeter slot around a shower in the middle of the room and let the water go down it. And they said to me, that's a fantastic idea, but you can't do it because the water board won't let you. You've got to have, you know, approximately 75 wide drain to be able to get your hand into it, you know, to get down the waste. And I said, okay, well, let's do it 75 millimeters wide, do a stainless steel grate so that we can lift that out to get into it. And that defines a bathroom. So I didn't get to do it in that one because we hadn't the time to develop it fully. But when I then did, particularly the Barkham Avenue apartments and another little house um, in Adelaide Street in Surrey Hills, where I put the shower in the middle of the space, no shower screens, which is another thing I've been designing out of my bathrooms wherever possible. Um, the graded drain went around three sides of a, of a space that had a shower head that was set flush with the ceiling. So it was just a rain shower that came in and the water went down the drain on three sides. The fourth side was the window wall and uh, the bath was then separate and it also drained into this um, same uh, drain that was used for the shower. So we got, got away from the standard floor waste in the middle of the floor. Um, so that, that really uh, was a big um, shift for me. And so that linear drain from that point on, from 1995 onwards, has been fundamental to how I design bathrooms. And obviously now it's been a huge success for StormTech and it's been copied many times by a number of people. Um, I foolishly should have signed some sort of patent agreement with them and <laughs> I, know. I probably wouldn't be sitting here today. I'd be lying on a beach like that one I can see behind you on your, your backdrop. <laughs> Um, it's interesting those those storm tech uh, drain uh, are gorgeous and and they do change the whole look of the look of the bathroom. This podcast is brought to you by Stormtech. Stormtech has been designing award-winning drains that are used worldwide. As an Australian success story, StormTech is the inventor of the linear drain, currently used in thousands of applications across the globe. Used in bathrooms, thresholds, driveways, pools and paved areas, StormTech drains are engineered to solve all residential drainage needs around your home. With seven award-winning grade styles to choose from, StormTech's full range of drains is available in an array of stunning powder-coated colours and electroplated finishes designed to suit any trend or building style. Proud to be Australian inventors, Australian manufacturers and 100% Australian made and owned for over 30 years, all of StormTech's products are watermark certified, which is crucial for building insurance purposes. Sustainability is one of the most important aspects in StormTech's culture. In fact, we take it so seriously that we are the only drainage manufacturer worldwide to achieve Gold Star Green Tag certification. StormTech skilled specialists work closely with specifiers, architects and builders to offer tailored drainage solutions 
including bespoke drawings and plans for customised drainage designs for all Australian environments. For more information, go to the StormTech website at www.stormtech.com.au. We could go, we, we should go back to the, you know, communal bathrooms where we get scrubbed down by a large Turkish man wielding from what from what you you are described sounds like a a, a, a steel brush. Do you think that would actually do you think that would actually work better? Well, you know, if it wasn't for COVID, uh, maybe that would. But I've got to say that we've gone through this phase and I've had a lot of developers, you know, that I've dealt with over the years say the same thing to me. He said, what we want is to give people the same experience as when they're on holiday at a resort. Because when they go to a resort, they have this bathroom that somehow has a view out over the beach or the beautiful vegetation, or it has a courtyard off it and you can actually open the bathroom up to the courtyard. Uh, and there's even those ones which, you know, I think are a, a bit of a dud myself, where you have a clear glass window from the bathroom through the bedroom in the hotel and then out to the view beyond the balcony. But I've found many, many people that I've spoken to uh, are very um, reluctant to adopt that resort model where you basically on show to anyone else who's in the room with you. Uh, I think there's still that idea that we need to be a bit more private than that. Um, but I, I definitely think that idea of people going to resorts has changed the thinking about bathrooms. Um, they want it to be more luxurious. They want to spend more time in there. It's about pampering, but it's also about natural light. It's about getting a view that idea that a bathroom can open to a courtyard is something that's, you know, a fantastic thing, particularly with our climate. Um, I think the communal bath, uh, you know, I think it's a really good idea. People love getting massages. Um, you know, they love swimming. You know, it's a bit of a combination of both. And I think that there's certainly a lot of very good sort of um, wellness spas and yoga studios and things which are showing there is that desire to get back into that more communal uh, environment for your well-being but I think for the the bathroom in, in houses and apartments I think that the thing we have to do is get away from this idea that every bathroom sorry every bedroom in a house must have a bathroom this is where the sustainability issues really kick in when I grew up like when you did and, and most people of my sort of vintage we lived in houses which had three or four bedrooms and there was one family bathroom. Okay. You know, it was the, the very wealthy people that might have had a very small ensuite off the main bedroom. Um, but typically everyone had to fight over the one bathroom and typically it had one basin as well. So, you know, when you had four or five kids, it was usually a big queue. Um, so we've got to go back, I think, to a, a more sustainable way of doing bathrooms. But I think that we can make them a little bit more generous than what we had before. And I think the idea that parents can have their own sort of retreat as one, but then just give the kids one great bathroom. Don't give them a bathroom each, you know, put two basins in there to make it easier for them to, you know, clean their teeth at the same time. That sort of thing I think is important to the way we do things. But I think fundamental to me is allowing natural ventilation, natural light into bathrooms wherever possible Connecting it to a courtyard or a view is a fantastic thing, but collecting rainwater, having a solar hot water heater, having 
um, well, I'll get on to another one of my personal passions, is no applied finishes. I will not, under any circumstances, specify a tap which has chrome um, or uh, nickel or, you know, any of those other applied finishes, which are effectively heavy metals, which are killing people, uh, killing the people that apply it to those taps. And obviously there's taps that are made from melted down um, engine um, blocks, which are full of lead. Uh, and there's a lot of cheap taps around that people just don't seem to understand are full of lead. So I only specify taps which are 100% fully stainless steel with no applied finishes to them whatsoever. Now, a similar thing would apply, you know, to brass. You could use uh, an absolutely pure, clean brass tap, unfinished, and that would do the same thing. But, but my particular aesthetic is more for the stainless steel. But I go through this with my clients at great length saying, I will not use anything other than a stainless steel tap. One, it's great for the environment. Two, it's great for your health. And three, the applied finish doesn't wear off. If you go into any public bathroom at an airport or a club or a restaurant, you'll see that the chrome or the black or the white, whatever finish has worn off on the, the lever handle and you've got a bit of brass showing through. It looks terrible. Um, so I mean, that's one of my personal bugbears. Um, the other thing I do when I get uh, develop a linear bathroom, the thing I really want to see is that sense of space. And so I've always used wall-hung toilets and wall-hung basins so that they float above the floor. And that's sort of visually you see the full width of the space, the full length of the space. And as an added bonus, it's incredibly easy to clean the floor because you just you know clean around underneath them rather than having to... Uh, go around an object that comes down to the floor and has that nasty little space in behind it that you can never get to to clean. So uh, there's all these functional things which have been developed as part of my bathroom language. So there's a, you know, a fair bit going on in my bathrooms while they might to some people all look the same. Um, that to a degree is true because they have been uh, evolving from that model that I first um, sort of adopted after working on the Hong Kong bank. But what's changed over the years is maybe the finishes. Um, I've always tried to avoid using tiles because tiles have that problem with grout and you've got to clean it. So um, I've used panelized um, materials to line my bathrooms. I mean, my favorite is glass. Uh, I do a lot of fully lined glass bathrooms. Um, I've used Corian. Um, my own bathroom at home is completely Corian, both walls and floor, so there's no joints. No one knows what it is. It's just a white space, but the paint doesn't peel off. Um, nothing wears out. Um, it's sort of virtually an indestructible material. Obviously, the, the, the most beautiful one, apart from glass, is to use natural stone. And if I use natural stone, I like to do the floors, the walls, and you know, if I could, I'd do the ceilings as well. Um, so those material choices are really important to me. You've obviously got mirror, which traditionally you have a mirrored cabinet. Well, I do that. And typically that's from 1.2 meters above the floor up to the ceiling. And from 1.2 down is where all the taps and all the other stuff is. But quite often, as in my own um, uh, warehouse, we take the mirror right to the floor. So that also doubles the apparent size of the bathroom. Uh, it's an old trick, but it's actually a, a beautiful thing to do 
and it just also bounces light around. So they're all little sort of design uh, concepts that really make bathrooms feel so much better than they used to when I was growing up. say that there goes my idea of getting rid of my bathroom and, and having a, a, um, another TV room. Um, <laughs> it's interesting. So, you know, and, and I've got to say, I'm, I'm with you with the stone thing. I'm a big fan of travertine. Uh, yes. It costs a lot more than ordinary, you know, cheapo Spanish imported tiles, but I mean, it is, it is quite beautiful and non-slip from what I've found. Yes. <laughs> um, with... Um, you mentioned um, in terms of various applications of, of, of bathrooms. So there, are, we have an aging population. We have also a population that, well, from what I can see in Sydney at least, is uh, becoming more and more used to living in apartments. And, uh, you know, uh, as StormTech will tell you, they do a lot in both aged care and also in apartments in terms of the drains. But has the design of the bathroom been changed by our changing circumstances in terms of, well, you mentioned modular, I assume then modular is being used a lot more in apartments than, 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 than it would elsewhere. And but the, I assume also in aged care as well, there are, there are different sort of designs that one uses. Um, is the bathroom, is our bathroom changing in terms of well, that? It's a, it's a big thing. And I'll say this um, because I'm, I'm absolutely uh, passionate about not putting people into aged care. Okay. Um, what I believe we should be doing is aging in place. Okay. And so that's, again, a big part of my bathroom design. The StormTech drain is one aspect of it because it does away with hobs. So you can just either walk in without tripping or you can even wheel your wheelchair into the shower. Then the, the doing away with the shower screen, which I've done in many, many um, bathrooms by using that linear drain to capture the water, rather than needing the screen. And obviously you need to make the showers a bit bigger to stop the splash of the water outside that, but that, that certainly works well. And then by having a modular system, I mean, mine works on an 800 millimeter wide module, which was developed over many years of testing from sort of 600 up to a meter and then ending up at 800 being for me, the ideal module. But a lot of these aged care facilities and hospitals um, should be using modular design. They don't always do. But my bathrooms are always modular based on uh, that 800 module. And the only thing that varies from that is typically the shower because the shower is the thing that takes up the, the leftover dimension. It's the flexible bit, but all every, everywhere else is on an 800 module. Um, but if you can have a bathroom that's designed to enable someone with a disability or who is simply elderly to use that throughout their entire life, I think that uh, goes a long way to being able to allow people to age in place. There's other things about you know getting up and down stairs or not having stairs, all those things come into play. But certainly in an apartment building where you've got a lift so you overcome that vertical access problem, it's then the bathroom that becomes the next thing that's difficult for, for elderly people. And if you can design it like I have with you know the slot drain and, and the big open showers, then that takes care of that. And all we have to do is provide some grab rails where they're needed. And again, with the sort of modular design of where I put my towel rails, where I put my taps, everything is one meter above the floor. 
so I can just put a grab rail in there or use a grab rail that doubles as a towel rail and take care of that, which I've done on a number of occasions. So that can all be done very easily. And I think that's a big, big change because the old days of those little showers with the little three panel sliding doors so that you could hardly squeeze in sideways, you know, that was ridiculous. So hopefully we've gotten rid of that concept. Um, okay, you, you mentioned this uh, both at the beginning of our talk and just now uh, the issue of water. What do we need to do to make our bathroom, I mean, we, bathrooms, regardless, you know, with toilets and whatnot, use a lot of water. What do we need to do? And we live in a country where we have apparently less than 1% of the world's usable water at, uh, at our disposal. Um, what do we need to do to make our bathrooms more sustainable water-wise? Well, I think that's relatively straightforward. I mean, firstly, in terms of hot water, solar hot water, um, it's a no-brainer. We've got so much sun here. We've got big roofs, very easy, very good technology now with evacuated tubes and other forms of solar panels. Um, that's easy. Um, collecting rainwater. That's another thing that we're all very passionate about in the architectural community. Um, hopefully the wider community is also picking up on that. But if you collect your rainwater, then you have a, a ready source of water, particularly for things that take a lot of water like toilet flushing. So we always integrate our toilet flushing with our water storage tanks in, in all of our houses. Um, you know, we've got the potential to collect the grey water from showers and baths and to reuse it either to irrigate the garden. Uh, it can be reused sometimes, um, you know, for other purposes. And uh, there's the, the heat that's generated in, you know, baths and showers. And I, I know that StormTech have actually started to develop a technology where they can take the heat out of their, their drain when the hot water from the shower is going down their linear drain. They collect that heat and recycle that heat. Um, so there's, you know, into a sort of heat exchanger type arrangement. So all of these things help and reduce the amount of water we're wasting. And, and you'd hope that you're not wasting any. If you can uh, collect the water, reuse the water, and then at the end of it, either recycle the grey water or at least the water that's going into uh, some sort of catchment that then you can reuse on the garden, for instance, or, or to wash the car even, you know, those sorts of things. So we're using the same water more than once and hopefully two or three times so that we're really saving that amount of water. We've got technology and taps that are using a lot less water than they were previously. So that's a good thing, much more efficient shower heads. So we've got ways and means to do that now. Uh, even the fact that, you know, there's shallower basins than there used to be. So when you fill up the basin to have a shave, for instance, you're not using anywhere near the amount of water that you were previously. Um, toilet flushing systems have reduced the amount of water required dramatically in the last 10 years. So, you know, we're, we're definitely, you know, well on the way to doing it. And I think we've just got to make sure that every new house and, and uh, it's harder for apartment buildings, but it should be mandatory in apartment buildings as well that they're collecting all of the water um, from their building and then recycling it. Uh, I think that's just a fundamental thing that we have to do.
out of all the bathroom designs that you've done or are doing at the moment, what is your favourite? Um, Why? Well, I'd have to say my favourite is my one at home. Um, <laughs> I mean, that, that you know, it's one of those things where you have, I suppose, that little bit more freedom. Uh, you know, a lot of my clients give me a lot of freedom, so um, they're all great. But at home... Um, it was actually my wife and, and her brief um, for our house was very simple. She wanted a beautifully lit bathroom with a very big bathtub. And that was it. That was her brief. Um, so this idea of a freestanding bath, and um, we found a very beautiful uh, Flaminia bath designed by Giulio Cappellini, uh, which is a rectangular bath, very thin-walled um, bath. And it sits right in the middle. And then we use... Um, uh, linear storm tech drain to, to delineate that bath and then the shower that's the full length of the bathroom behind it from the other side which is the basin and the toilet and, and with the mirrored wall and so the mirrored wall reflects all of that it's got corian on the floors and walls and it's got a pop-up roof which allows natural light and ventilation to flood into the space and it's actually a pop-up roof which is the reverse angle to the pitch of the roof so when you actually lying in the bath you see all these interesting angles and you see the sky and you see the treetops outside so you know for me that bathroom is a very very beautiful bathroom and during the day you don't need to turn the lights on because you've got so much natural light so you're saving power as well geez and it sounds like um, i want to come to your place and have a shower it sounds, <laughs> it sounds absolutely lovely um Thank you very much for your time, Ian. That was a, that was um, historically fascinating, um, uh, technically um, intriguing, and I've got to say, from a design point of view, quite exhilarating. I mean, there obviously you can do a lot more with bathrooms than, than we do now. Absolutely, but I think, as I say, in terms of the architects, um, a very large number of architects have adopted a bathroom plan, which is. Um, I'd like to think derivative of mine or at least similar um, thinking has gone into the development of their bathrooms, which are uh, certainly um, a long, long way ahead of um, the rest of the world, I've got to say. I mean, uh, you know, Europe and, and particularly the United States, the United States is so far behind, it's not funny. Uh, Europe's starting to develop some slightly more interesting ones, but typically they, they weren't really thinking too much about that. I think in Australia with the proliferation of architect design department buildings there's a lot more thought gone into these things and and we develop the best apartment designs in the world at the moment i would say and um, so the bathrooms are an important aspect of that so we do sort of lead the way and obviously with you know things like the storm tech drain again leading the world and we've got the rest of the world now copying that um, drain um, everywhere Ian Moore, Principal of Ian Moore Architects, thank you for your time and I look forward to talking to you again and dare I say, happy bathing. Thank you very much. Thanks, Franco. You've been listening to Talking Architecture and Design. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Branko Melitic. Thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. The A&D Network proudly presents the Sustainability Awards now in their 14th year. You can find more information at sustainablebuildingawards.com.au.
This podcast is brought to you by StormTech. For over 30 years, StormTech has been designing award-winning drains that are used worldwide. As an Australian success story, StormTech is the inventor of the linear drain currently used in thousands of applications across the globe. Used in bathrooms, thresholds, driveways, pools and paved areas, StormTech drains are engineered to solve all drainage needs around your home. With seven award-winning great styles to choose from, StormTech's full range of drains is available in an array of stunning powder-coated colours and electroplated finishes designed to suit any trend or building style. If you want further information, go to www.stormtech.com.au.